2014, Haley was 17 years old. She was riding the bus back from school, and she got a text from her father. His name is Craig. And the text said something along the lines of, I put your bedroom on the driveway. They had had a lot of conflict about her keeping her room clean. Over and over again, he had stressed to her and worked with her, and it just kept not working. No parent can relate to that, I know. And so he decided to do something dramatic. He moved her entire bedroom onto the driveway, and he put a big sign out in front of it. It said, Haley, next time clean your room. She didn't think it was true until she got home, and it was all there, right out in front of her. Now, as you might imagine, um, as this got onto social media, people had a field day with it. Um, there started sides, people who agreed with this dad, people who disagreed with this dad, and one person wrote this, mission accomplished if your mission was to humiliate your daughter in front of thousands of people. But on the other side, somebody wrote this. Do not judge this parent. When one has exhausted seemingly sane and conventional methods of parenting, you do whatever it takes. Giving up or giving in is not an option when your child's welfare is at stake. Amen. You know, maybe that was extreme. Um, although I, they did make up, they worked through their issues, they talked it over, and you know, the dad, the dad actually, he said, I'm very proud of my daughter. Um, she's really a, a good child. This was just an issue we had to deal with. And, and he wrote toward the end in this interview, overall, it kind of ended up being a good thing. I'm pretty sure she knows where I'm coming from if I tell her to clean her room now. Kind of extreme. I mean, not exactly. I mean, I've never done that before. I, I've maybe done some extreme things. Kind of extreme. But I also know how frustrating it can be sometimes when you tell a child over and over and over again, and they just keep not doing it. And, and like everything you can do, and you, and you, you want to just keep loving them, you don't want to lose your cool but you want them to change a behavior. You want them to do something differently. You cannot seem to get it through to them. Maybe someday I'll have to take all of my kids' stuff and throw it on the driveway. I hope not. I'm not sure Aaron would be happy with that. My kids wouldn't be happy with it, but my wife I care more about. Here's what I wonder. How often am I the child in that scenario with God as the father? How often, over and over and over again, is God trying to convey something to me? Trying to get something into my life, trying to get me to change, trying to get me to see things differently. And I wonder, in those moments of exasperation where you just can't take it anymore, what does God do? What is God's move in that moment? I can't tell you, of course, every single time but I can tell you that Israel, in the story we're in today, that's where they are. They're at a point 
where God has every reason to just blow a gasket with these guys. And what I want to look at is what happened with them and does it happen to us and how does God deal with it? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, please open our hearts and minds to receive from your word, from your spirit, that we might change, that we might be changed. Lord, equip and encourage us in all areas of life to live kingdom first. Every day of every week of every year of our lives that we might bring honor to our king. And it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. If you would, please open your Bible to Numbers chapter, or sorry, Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16 and verse 1. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. All right, they've been traveling for a while. Right, this, is, this is a journey. If you go back a chapter, we basically have a three-day period from when they left, and then we have this. All right, so there's no information of what happened for over a month other than they're traveling. All right, so you can imagine you are, I mean, just think of your last family trip, except you got a few more people with you in this case. You're walking through the desert. You've got the heat. You've got all the children who keep saying, are we there yet? And you don't even know where there is. You've got blisters on your feet. You are sick and tired of seeing the exact same desert features over and over every day. And as that happens, as all of the frustration, it's mounting. You know that one guy who keeps bumping into everybody? As it's mounting, something else is happening. You are beginning to lose sight of one of the most miraculous miracles that ever took place. Because a month ago, the great army of the Egyptians was going to slaughter you, and God formed walls of water for you to walk through and be safe. And that is starting to become a distant memory. And here's what happens when God's work, God's faithfulness takes a back seat to all of the things we're going through. Look at verse two. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full and we had filet mignon and we were drinking wine and whiskey at five-star restaurants. For you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Here's what happens, grumbling. 
which is a key word in this particular chapter. It happens over and over and over. They keep saying grumbling, 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 which is a really neat kind of word in English. Um, it's an onomatopoeia. It actually kind of sounds like what it is. You know, when people are grumbling. Grumbling is when we assign blame, when we kick up a fuss, when we start going after things and people. They're grumbling. But I want to make two observations about their grumbling that is related to losing focus on the faithfulness of God and focusing on the fact that we don't have food right now in this moment. Two things. Number one, notice who they're grumbling against. Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron did not bring them out of Egypt. Yahweh did. Moses and Aaron did not determine the path they would take. Yahweh did. Moses and Aaron are not in charge of ultimate reality. Yahweh is. But Moses and Aaron are the ones standing in front of them, and they're the ones to go after. Part of grumbling is when we start attacking people who aren't really to blame for what's going on, which I know I do that, but most of you probably don't because you're more level-headed. A second thing that happens, and I kind of made fun of it a little bit, just the hyperbole in what they say. Like, oh, that the waters had fallen on us too because drowning in the Red Sea would have been better than my stomach pain right now. That, that's, that's what they're getting at. The blisters on my feet are worse than dying. I'd rather just die. My kids talk like that sometimes. I'm so bored, I just want to die. Really? You're that bored? Are you sure? I mean, that, that's what they're doing. But here's part of the grumbling. It heightens the present, and it makes the past look better than it was. I mean, really? Sitting next to meat pots eating your bread to the full when they won't even give you enough straw to make bricks. And they're beating you. And yet, that's not what you remember. What they remember is, yeah, but my stomach wasn't growling. And right now it is. Because that's part of what happens, is you lose sight of it. And again, maybe that doesn't happen to you, but I get very irrational sometimes. Uh, just ask my wife. I mean, sometimes I come home from a day of work, and it's been a hard day, and, and I'm, I'm angry or I'm depressed, or you know, and I walk in, I storm into the house, and I drop my stuff wherever I want to drop it, and who's gonna say anything to me about it because I've had a bad day? I go to the counter and I sigh as loudly as I can to make sure the entire house can hear that I've had a bad day, because they need to know. Because I have had to deal with church people all day. You people are tough. Church people have issues. And my wife, being the loving, compassionate person she is, she sees that I've had a bad day. And she begins to approach me. And she dials up all of that compassion and empathy. And she reaches out a hand and she sets it on my shoulder. And she says, babe, can I get you something cold to drink? Are you kidding me? 
Something cold to drink, really. That's what you think my issue is. I need something to drink. Okay, I've been doing this thing all day, and I'm trying to do a sermon. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to do this. You want to give me something to drink? Do you even know me? What is wrong with you, woman? Wrong thing to say, though. That's... But I mean, just go off. Now I'm attacking her. For what? Trying to help me. Why? Because I'm ticked off because things aren't going the way I want because I can't control them because there's so many things that I just, and I'm grumbling about all of them. You ever grumble? Here's where I think grumbling comes from. I'm going to give you this statement. When we focus on what we see and feel rather than what God says and who God is, it will inevitably lead to grumbling. When we focus on how we feel and what we see rather than what God says and who God is, it will inevitably lead to grumbling. Because you and I are always seeing half the picture or less. You and I are always feeling as things are being weighted down on us. And, and if that is the way that we're going to view things, if that's how we're going to interpret it, it will inevitably lead to grumbling as opposed to something else. So, many of you um, are unaware, uh, most of you maybe are unaware, that uh, as we are making some shifts and some emphases at redemption, um, one of the things we're doing is we're trying to highlight life groups and we're building that up. Right? And part of the way we're doing that is we have shifted Trey to really focus on life groups. And in doing that, we've also moved Aaron to take over worship. And most people are unaware that for the last couple of months, she's been leading worship. What a lot of people are also unaware of, and I'm probably gonna get in trouble if you've been talking like this right now, later on, she's gonna grumble at me. Um, but it won't be at me, because when you grumble at people, it's really at somebody else, so I'll be okay. Aaron wrote an article, and she didn't write it as my wife. She wrote it as the worship leader. And, and here is the, the unfortunate thing. Less than 40 people actually opened that article. And here's why I say it's unfortunate. Please don't feel guilty. I'm not, I, here's why it's unfortunate. What she wrote, it was really good. Like, I'm the one who told her I want this printed. She didn't say to me, hey, I wrote this thing, you want to print it? No, I want you to do this. And when I read it, I'm like, I want to print this like here because you need to read this. Here's why. This is the essence of what she said. If you didn't read it, go back into the email, read it, click on it. Here's the essence of it. What we sing when we worship, we need to mean it. Like they're not just words. As much as our worship team is trying to like make really good music and they rehearse and they do all these things to make it good, they are not trying to lead a concert. And the reason it meant so much to Erin is because when she is either singing a song to lead people or even playing to lead people, she wants to mean what she's doing. 
She doesn't want to be the false one up there that's just kind of saying words and people going, oh, this is neat. She wants to mean it. But the article was saying we all, we need to mean this to the point that she said, you know, if you read through some of this music and like you can't sing this honestly, then don't sing. Listen to the words. Wrestle with the words. Go into the scriptures. Talk to your pastor, whatever you need to do. But when those words are real, it can change everything. Hey, you guys have probably seen me up here worshiping at times and lifting up my hands. And like sometimes Andy doesn't stand us up soon enough. And I'm like, I'm ready. So I stand up. And, and it's because I've got Pentecostalism in the background. And it just didn't fully go away, uh, even though I wear a robe now. Like, I like worshiping. I really like worshiping. And I can tell you that most of the time when I'm worshiping, I mean what I'm saying until I get home. Until I, I get home and, and I discover there's a bill I forgot to pay. I don't know how I'm gonna pay it. There's some late charges involved in it until I remember that I have a friend who is really sick and may not make it. Until I remember that I yelled at one of my kids and they didn't deserve it and I really, like, I feel so guilty until I remember that there's somebody in the congregation that I have really offended and I have no idea how to help that person until I remember all of those things that I can't control, that I don't know what to do about. And then, instead of remembering what I was singing, Instead of remembering what I think about God, instead of thinking about the things he's done in my life, I focus on those things. And I see and I feel what I can't change. Instead of remembering what God says and who God is. Here's a song that we're gonna sing later on. And this is the song that Aaron actually wrote the article about. I just wanna read the first uh, verse. Even when I cannot see, you are moving. Even when I cannot hear, you are singing over me. Even when I can't hold on, you won't let me go. You are faithful, you are faithful. You're gonna see me up here and I'm gonna be singing this song in like the next 30 minutes. And I'm, I think I'm gonna mean it. Most of the time, I think I believe this. But I can tell you, when I get away and the distance comes, it's when I start to do, and instead of, even when I cannot see you're moving, it's you're not moving because I can't see. You're not singing over me because I can't hear. You have let me go because I can't feel you. You're not faithful because I am focused on what I see and what I feel, not on what you say and who you are. Grumbling, I think it's a part of all of our lives. I mean, at some points, but it doesn't have to be. We can actually, there, there's a different way. Um, it, everybody, of course, will remember the eclipse that recently just happened because it was so gigantic. And we did not get any of the eclipse glasses. And so that afternoon when it was like supposed to be 75% and 
I walk out there, and I'm not gonna stare at the sun. I mean, I'm not that dumb, mostly. So I walk out, and I'm like, can I just get a glimpse? Like, kind of like. <laughs> and so I'm out there in the yard, and I'm like, can't see anything. I'm like, oh, okay, so fine. So I get my phone, I think, all right, I got this. I get my phone, I'm standing under the patio, and I hit record, and I stick my phone out like this. <sighs> okay, got it, record for a while. All right, pull it back in, and I'm looking at it. And Aaron and I are both looking at it, we're going, it just looks like the sun. Like, I don't know what they're talking about. 75%, you gotta be kidding me, it's, it's the sun. And so we're both just like, yeah, whatever, these people are doing nothing, you know. And so then I, I take off to a meeting, and Trey is there. And we start talking about these glasses, and Trey goes, we have some. I'm like, you jerk, how'd you get those? And then he goes, you can use them. I said, no, never mind, you're not a jerk. Can I use them? And so he gives me his glasses. And he's like, it's really cool. I'm like, no, it's not. It's just the sun. Like, it's dumb. I put the glasses on. And I walk outside and look up. Oh, my goodness. It was really cool. Like, you could not see any of that without those glasses on. It literally, without the glasses on, and I know because I have a video, it looks like the sun. And that's it. You throw the glasses on, you see this massive eclipse. Like, it was really, really cool. But the sun was so bright that without those glasses, there was no way you were gonna see what was actually there. The sun was too blinding for you to see the truth. You had to put those glasses on. Is there a pair of non-grumbling glasses? Is there a way for us to see what is true? Because I guarantee you that what we see and what we feel is always only partially true. And it has to be seen in light of what God says and who God is. So what are those glasses? Look back in your text. This is what God says to them. And this is the point where I feel like God should be throwing furniture out onto the driveway. I mean, after that response and after everything that he's done on their behalf, God should just be, get out of here, I'm tired of you guys. Verse four, and then Yahweh said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. All right, I just wanna stop there for a second. He's gonna feed them. What is that? Like, what great parenting is that? They are being ridiculous about things. They're calling him out. They're calling his leaders out. And he's going to answer them. He's actually going to give them food. He has so much more patience than I do. But then he says the reason why. And it is more than provision. In fact, probably they weren't as bad off as they thought they were. But here's what he says. That I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know, um, you shall know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Notice what he's doing. He's bringing them back. If you go back to Exodus 15, you will see their response. They saw the power of Yahweh. They believed in Yahweh. And in, in Exodus 15, they sing a song. They sing a praise song, just like we do. 
And that praise song is filled with things about his steadfast love, about his power, about the fact that he's gonna plant them in a good land. There's all this great stuff where they are honoring him and praising him, and they've forgotten all that. Here they are a month and a half out, and they're going, yeah, we're gonna die. Yahweh doesn't care anymore. And here is Moses and Yahweh. We're gonna bring them back. To know that it is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he's heard your grumblings against the Lord, which, you know, just for a moment they might have gone, we weren't grumbling against God. Oh, I just wanna tell you, at least a portion of all of your grumbling is against God. I don't care who you're grumbling against, because grumbling by nature has a lack of trust in God. At least a portion of it, and I'm not saying there aren't legitimate reasons to be upset about things, there are. But when we are grumbling, at least a portion of our grumbling is against God, because he, we feel, is not doing enough. And that's what Moses just did, he flipped it. This isn't on us. <laughs> You're grumbling, it's God. So Moses, uh, and Moses said, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. All right, here's what he does. He does not answer their grumbling with more grumbling or complaining or attacking. Instead, he offers them a different way of seeing things. Right? Here's, here's their situation. Things are awful right now. We have no food. It would have been better to be in Egypt, and they've forgotten everything Yahweh has done. So here's what Yahweh does. I am going to meet your basic needs, and I want you to remember that I am the one that's doing it. I want you to begin to see me in the very small things of simple provision so that you can remember all the things I have done, all the things I will continue to do in your life. But he starts with this very small thing. I'm gonna give you bread and meat. That's it. No more Red Sea experiences. I'm not gonna split another ocean for you. I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna give you some explosion in the sky to go, yes, I'm with you. I'm gonna give you food, daily food. And I want you to remember where it's coming from every single day. Because God often works in the small things. Right? Think with me for a moment. There was a little boy who was carrying his lunch with him. And Jesus used that lunch to feed 5,000 people. There was a widow who had two copper coins worth a fraction of a penny. And Jesus not only said that she gave more than everybody else, but then that story has been used for 2,000 years to encourage people. Think of David, what was he when he was first found? The youngest son who was a shepherd out in the field, not even worthy to come in to be checked to see if he could be king. And God made him into the greatest king of Israel. Think about Mary. Mary is this little 13-year-old or so girl in a backwater country that nobody knows anything about. She gave birth to Messiah. God uses the small things. 
And he wants them to see these small things and to remember his power and his glory and that he's with them and be aware of them. And so he takes the very basic necessities of life, manna and quail, and he says, through these, I want you to remember. He says he'll test them, it's interesting. And do you remember Jesus going out into the desert? And it says the spirit led him out there and he's gonna be tested. He has a very similar experience of what's going on here, except for the fact that he passes the test. These guys you will see in chapter 17, they're gonna complain some more. They don't pass the test. But Jesus is out there and the devil says, turn these, breads into, turn these stones into bread. And what is his response? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What God says and who God is means more to Jesus in that moment than his hunger pains because he's focused in the right way. All the way through, every time he responds, it's back to who God is and what God says. That is the shift. I was sitting last night with Aaron and we're just out on the back patio. And partway through, we'd finished eating. Um, I had about a half a glass of wine left. The water, little water feature we have was on, is beautiful sound. Um, if you happen to be sitting outside last night, the weather was nice. And at one point, Aaron said, are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in some ways really okay. Like, not for anything particular, but because God has blessed us enough just to be able to sit out here on a pleasant night, drink a glass of wine together, and listen to that water. Can you see God in the small things of your life? Because I can almost guarantee you that he is not gonna part the Red Sea for you over and over and over and over and over and over again. And even if he did, you'd still not get it. Nobody in scripture did. But what he is gonna do is to continue to give you the small moments. The moments of just 30 minutes of peace the moments of a good conversation with one of your kids, the moments of that paycheck that just keeps coming in each month and continues to pay the bills. There's gonna be moments throughout your life, and honestly, every time you sit down, do you know that the original prayer over food was not actually asking God to bless the food to the nourishment of our bodies, which is what we all do most of the time? It was actually thanking God for the blessing of the food, for the land that produced it, because they saw a direct connection between every time I'm eating, I remember God. Every time I'm eating, he's providing for me. I can see his glory. Folks, it's the small things in life, even in the middle of all of the hard things in life, and look, I know there's a lot of hard things in life. I can look out individually and I know so many of the hardships in your families. But we can switch grumbling to glorifying when we switch from our sight and our feelings to what God says and who he is. 
And part of the way we do that is by remembering all the little things that are going on in our lives, the ways in which God is working. Moment by moment, day by day, each meal, each conversation, each time we get to see him work. I don't have a closing, which is okay. It's 10.59 and I'm supposed to close, so I thought hard about it. Um, I even researched um, Haley and her dad. I was hoping they'd have a follow-up on their story somewhere that I could like bring back, you know, and say something clever that would be entertaining. Um, nothing. It's not there. Um, be aware of what God is doing. Don't take for granted the little things because it is the predominant way that God moves. And in noticing those, maybe instead of grumbling against God, we can glorify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we started the service, life is sometimes hard. Relationships are hard. Jobs are hard. Kids are hard. Illnesses are hard. Lord, so many things have gone on in our world recently. So many devastating acts of nature. Father, amidst all of those things, will you give us the sight to see the small ways that you are moving every single day in our lives. Lord, help us to be more conscious of where all of our blessings come from. According to your word, every blessing we have comes from you. Lord, help us to see those things that we might go from grumbling in our lives to glorifying you, even when we don't have answers, even when we don't know what to do next. What we do know is that you are always moving, singing, over us, holding us, that you have been and always will be faithful. Lord, help us to see that, that we might live the king's will through everything we go through. In Jesus' holy name we ask it, amen.